This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 67, which is page 481 in your Bibles in the pews. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Doug Logan. Um, I serve as president of Grimke Seminary and vice president of Acts 29 for advancement. And it is my joy to be here um, to serve you and jump into this word. Um, I was racially profiled and said I couldn't preach a sermon in 40 minutes. (laughs) I won't say anybody's name who said that, Orion. And... um, So, man, I just love um, the new swag um, as King's Cross now here. Um, I love Pastor Ryan. Um, We've got to meet in Beaver Creek, Colorado. And um, I didn't know if he was Acts 29 because he had the man bun. So I was confused. And then I saw how thug he was, and I said, yeah, he Acts 29. (laughs) So he is a dear, dear, quick, quick, dear friend. Love him. And, of course... Um, I'm friends with the Keys, and Brian Key is coming to be a part of Grimke Seminary as associate professor of um, urban ministry and just all around regular dude. And Kelly also, Kelly also is a bully like Orion against me often. I'm very scared of her, so um, I only can take shots with a mic. Well, King's Cross, we're going to jump right in here. I've been told that we are in a series on worship, and I've been tasked to stay the track of that with a big vision for us as King's Cross. Now here, I think we're in independence, where we want to punch the devil in the face and give him a problem as the, as the gathered people of worship that demonstrate We demonstrate the holiness and beauty of God's embassy on earth. And we distribute grace and love throughout the region. And so that, um, man, people won't go to hell and run into one one of King's Cross members and run into some grace. That's... That's, that's, that's who we are as a people of worship. Now listen, we raggedy too. So we need to be worshipers as well. Well, prayer has been offered, scripture has been read. I'm just going to jump right in and talk. The title of my sermon is The Church. Worship is who we are. Worship is who we are. See, it's said in Psalm 67, which I like to call the Old Testament Great Commission. 
it paves the way for Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, this all nations, this ethne, this all peoples. And then it paves, that's the great commission. And then the great witness, Acts 1-8, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. When you hear uttermost parts of the earth, I want you to hear again this local, regional, national, and international all nations declaration in Acts 1-8, right after the resurrection which will land us from the great commission, the great witness, to the great gathering in Revelation 7-9 after I looked um, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, and people and language. I want you to see this all nations reality that started with this idea of great commission went to great witness and will land with all those nations gathered from amongst all the peoples and brought into one big motley crew family of God. Well, we will worship together and we won't need multi-ethnic worship because we will be united around the throne of God. Multi-ethnic worship is who we are, period. I don't care if it's an all-black church, an all-white church. When we gather on a Sunday across the world, we are the multi-ethnic universal church of the living God. And it should reflect in our communities. But I'll say this. If your community looks like Skittles, then your church should look like Skittles. If your community looks like the egg, milk, and bread aisle, (laughs) then it's all right for your church to look like the egg, milk, and bread aisle. Just saying. Paul wasn't busing people from Thessalonica in to create multi-ethnic worship. He was leading people to Christ throughout Rome, throughout the known world. So from the Great Commission, the Great Witness, and then the Great Gathering, this, when we understand these three, was God's always plan and intention was to help us see the importance of worship in our lives. So my big idea is worship as a church body is important because it reflects God's glory and draws others into his story. It reflects God's glory and draws others into a story. Alan Ross in his book, Recalling the Hope of Glory, this is what it says. True worship is the celebration of being in covenant fellowship with the sovereign and holy triune God. By means of um, reverent adoration and spontaneous praise of God's nature and works, the expression, commit the express commitment of trust and obedience to the covenant responsibilities and the memorial reenactment of entering into covenants through ritual acts, all with the confident anticipation of the fulfillment of the covenant promise and glory. Doug Logan translation. As we get together and live out worship and bring adoration to our God, that makes and shapes who we are as we move forward and it demonstrates a glory that others will look on and wonder how these folk are together and it would point to the promises of God through us wouldn't point to us but it would point to the promises of God so the necessity of worship in our lives is directly tied to the mission of God in the world That's God's salvation amongst all nations would be known on earth. Verse 2, that all the peoples would praise God. Verse 3 in Psalm 67, that the nations would rejoice and shout for joy. Verse 4 is about our great God. So worship is always tied to witness. Church, you need worship because you need God to do something in you and through you. 
That's where we, where our, our, this salvation we have is so much realized when we sing to this invisible God who we've never met, but we're directly connected in adoration to him. It's a weird thing. It's mysterious and beautiful. Worship is transforming and testimonial at the same time. It transforms us and testifies to the goodness to the world. So how do we reflect God's glory and draw others into his story in worship? We do this by embracing two aspects of our identity as worshipers. Our two points today are we are gathered people for worship, the place. We are growing people of worship, lifestyle. Let's get at it. This first point, we are gathered people for worship, place. See, Psalm 67 subscript tells us that it's a stringed instrument song for the choir master. So this was written in the context of gathered worship. So when you see that stringed instrument, meaning this song would have been likely memorized and sang regularly because it would have been strung up and ready to go on the PowerPoint in the Jerusalem temple. So these past couple of years, COVID has taught us the importance of togetherness, hasn't it? The face-to-face, I mean, I, I want you to see this, this new description, in-person worship. Could you, we wouldn't even have thought about that five years ago, a thing called in-person worship. So this face-to-face community of unity and diversity plays a role in how we serve God and understand who we are as God's people. To gather people of God, ask God to bless them, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. He says, but look, but look at how that request for blessing functions. Bless us, that your ways and salvation would be known to the ends of the earth. The psalmist is saying, in effect, bless me so that I might glorify you. Bless me so that I might show your power, your love, your majesty, your goodness to all nations. Bless, that word Baruch, it means cause to kneel, cause to bow. So the people of God are not, are not saying, bless me so that I can be comfortable. Bless me so that I don't have to work hard. Bless me so I can be successful in the eyes of the world. No, this is what they're saying. God blesses that we might bless you. God blesses that we might bless others. Blesses that we would rejoice and shout for joy in Christ as we realize that this grace that we have through the power and work of the salvation of God, the death on the cross of Christ, the, the resurrection of Christ, that we don't deserve it. And that blessing of God is much different than the blessing that he blesses, that we bless him because he blesses us as the creator of all things and we just bless him with our hearts in worship. Do you realize that the best thing and the only thing you can do is give up all things, ascribe all things to God. So when we bless him, we're saying, Christ, you gave up everything to be our everything, so we give you everything. This is his heart. That Psalm 67 is screaming. Dr. Tony Evans says this, God wants all people everywhere to know him. And this should be our desire as well. He does not bless you merely for your own sake. He blesses you so that you may be a blessing to others, leading them to put their faith in Jesus Christ, to glorify God, and to live their lives in joyful obedience to him. In gathered worship, God's blessing leads to his glory. This doesn't happen on the internet or in our heads. 
Do you see how as a people of God gather and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs Ephesians 5 talks about? We are built up and others around us see God's worth and are drawn into him through us. What a beauty. Jonathan Lehman, um, Nymark's leader, I was having a discussion with him about mission and evangelism and I was talking about strategies and he said, Doug, the glory of God is the evangelism strategy for the church. When the church lives out and demonstrates and displays and worship the glory of God, that will draw the nations. I said, I like that. But my book is called On the Block, so we do that on the block too. So as a gathered people for worship, we gather in Christ under his preached word. As a gospel people, we do this primarily in three ways. Song, sermon, and sacrament. Songs, we sing the gospel to God and to one another. We build one another up as we sing and we witness to those around us as a worshiping people, like God's people in Psalm 67. As we sing, don't break down in despair, even though sometimes we cry and we're going through some stuff. No, as we sing, we don't break down in despair, but God empowers us to break through in worship. And then sermon, at the core, the preaching of God's word is not an exercise in expositional excellence only. It's an exercise in exalting, lifting up God through his exalted word so that people who don't lift him up with their lives would see Jesus high and lifted up through the preached word and that they would lay low and bow and receive him that they too might bless him. As we hear God's truth and beauty through his proclaimed word, the weightiness of God's perfection should cause us all to bow and to bless him. And the lost and the found are drawn into the weight of his glory. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is for both the lost and the found. My declaration, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm screaming to you, repent and believe the gospel. And if you're here and you know Jesus, repent and believe the gospel and bless him. It's the same declaration. It's the same God. He is the sovereign God over all things, not over the church only, but he's over everything. He's over the highway. He's over the unbeliever. He's over the agnostic. He's over pagan presidents. He's over Christian congressmen. He's over all things and when we see that and when we see that we're a gathered people and the unity that we do when we gather we lay down who we are and we become the church who we are and that's why when we sing it's the highest and worship together in musical worship it's often the highest place of unity during the service our preferences get thrown away sometimes because we get caught up in the fact that God has saved us and we don't deserve it I don't have time to worry about what key it's in, if it's Hillsong or Bethel, when I'm, when I'm thinking about how I should be in hell. <laughs> now, I don't care what race you are. I don't care if it's a guitar or a B3. I'm just happy that he saved this little nappy-head boy. And I'm happy that he saved me and put me with all kind of people that I would have been trying to rob if not for Jesus. I don't care. Worship should take us somewhere <laughs> hidden in Christ. It just should. Last one, sacrament. I see, I see Orion saying he's not gonna make it. Not, he, he not gonna, I just saw, see how he done looked at his watch seven times. <laughs> I've been counting. That's why he wore his eye watch today, his Apple watch, so he can he got the little timer, it's gonna buzz like the chicken is ready or something. <laughs> 
And then the last one is sacrament. So we worship God in song, sermon, and sacrament. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I like to say that whatever the songs weren't clear about and whatever my sermon missed, the sacrament catches. <laughs> so as a worshiping gathered people, we do communion together. Communion is grace to our souls. Communion reminds us of who God is and who we are. We're drawn in to the sacrifice of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus, of sinners, the expiation of our sins. And it gives us this eschatological, in time, eschatological, in time hope that one day we'll enjoy this table that he's preparing with us. As we think about communion, one day I'm going to be drinking Drinking that with Jesus, that's what should elicit us when we gather, is that this place is temporary. That's why I love rented buildings, because our lease is in heaven. Sometimes we get a building and we want to be set here. Nah, put me out, God, and send me to heaven whenever you're ready. I'll lease this place and I'll break the lease to go to heaven. All three of these things, song, sermon, and sacrament, highlight that one day there will be a people gathered around and the people of God worshiping him face to face, hearing from the word, incarnate himself, and dining with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Corporate worship is a preview of Revelation 7, 9 through 12. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language with no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to, I love this, our God. Not the Baptist or Presbyterian God, but all gathered our God. You see that unity that happens around the throne of God. We got to do better to mimic that on earth. Who is seated on the throne in the Lamb. And then everybody fell face down to Baruch to worship and kneel to God. So as a church is a group of Christians who assemble in the earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinance, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and example of the elders. This is Colin Hansen in his book, Rediscover Church. So as a gathered people, reflect God's glory and draw others into a story. The second aspect of our worship is of, of our worshiper identity is that we are a growing people of worship. So we are a gathered people and we're a growing people. Romans 12, 1 says this, therefore brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So a heart, this idea here is a heart postured toward God. The heart of the believer is postured by the God by God, um, by God in humility, grace, generosity, submission, service to Jesus the King. The posture creates in us a lifestyle of worship to God in all that we do. This is why I say God, worship is who we are. The gospel shapes our attitudes and our actions, our family, our fellowship, our money, our marriage, our singleness, and our savings. All of those who have been mercied the text says, receive the mercy of God. We aren't just a worship gathered. 
We aren't just to worship gathered, but we are to present our entire lives to God as the living sacrifice. Paul says that this is your true worship. And so I don't want you to let the first point make you think that I'm saying worship is simply when we get together. No, it's, no, it's not less than that when we get together, but it's more. We're a growing people. Worship is not the goal of singing worship and getting together on a Sunday is not necessarily the goal. The goal is to exalt God as a family, as a unit, and bring glory to him. But it's also, my second point, is that we're growing people. We grow in worship in our whole lives. It's a posture of the Christian. It's who we are. We should be recognized and identified that. Not by some corny bumper sticker on your car. God is the co-pilot. That's corny. Take that down if you have that. If God's the co-pilot, I'm not riding with you. I'll ride in the trunk if God is the pilot, though. God is the co-pilot. And your long voice message, Romans chapter 8 says, no, I don't, that don't make it worship. When you have that long verse on your voice message and it takes me 45 minutes to leave you a message. That's not it. Worship is who we are. We're growing people of worship. Always growing. So the command wasn't relegated to in the confines of gathered church. Paul is saying we are an all-encompassing reality of the followers of Christ. Is that See, as a follower of Christ, it is that you are a person of worship who is to offer your life to God. Our lives are to be centered in Christ. Every decision, everything we do flows through the grid of the gospel in view of God's mercy. When considering our lifestyle of worship in everyday life, we would do well to ask, excuse me, will this decision remove me from the altar of worship to God? Because it says if you got an issue with your brother, leave your gift, leave the altar and go fix it. So as you live life, are you asking yourself, will this decision remove me from the altar of worship to God? If so, don't do it. View God's mercy in the gospel. The responsible response, the reasonable response is to lay your life at his altar. This is all of life in Christ. When we grow in sacrificial worship like this, God uses our living for his missional purpose talked of in Psalm 67. So we have this, mediate, this, this mediated reality function that we all live. As Christ, our mediator, we represent him in the world as whole life worship. Not just when we start sharing the gospel with them, but when your life exemplifies the gospel and highlights it, and that gospel is oozing out of you with your functions and your family, your fellowship, your faith, and your finances. That's when, that's the greatest crazy witness. Not just your good Christian words. Unbelievers can have good Christian words. They ain't got no ghost. So we have this ambassadorial function, this mediatorial function, and we, we testify. God makes his appeal through us, 2 Corinthians 5.20. That's what the heart is. So God makes his appeal through us. As we live out the gospel missionally in Kansas City, God uses us to reflect his glory in worship through generosity, service, love, community, and proclamation. God uses this to reflect his glory. Church, we are not, to, we are not glory receivers, but we are glory reflectors. 
We show him to the world by showing his worth. When the church embraces their identity as the growing people of worship, the world sees that the church is the home for the homeless are looking for, the father in heaven that the fatherless are looking for, the love that the loveless are desperate for. See, Peter ends his letter for the church with the prayer that they would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As it happens, God makes his appeal through your lifestyle as worship. To round back to Psalm 67, essentially what we're saying is that when the people of God praise God properly, the nations become glad in God. Verse 4 in Psalm 67 says, let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. I want you to not go past the nations and use your American eyes to see nations. You need to see that... The choir master here would have been called woke for saying that. Because it was supposed to be only for Israel, supposedly, but when he would say that, he, would, he might be accused of virtual signaling. But no, what he's saying here is the nations, the ethne, the people outside the covenant, they are going to be glad. And if we let... And if we come out of our posture of worship and into our posture of politics, we miss the text. Let, the, let all the nations, all the people who aren't Jewish worship, who've not worshiped, who've not been in the covenant, who've not been in the temple, who were uncircumcised, worshiped idols, multiple idols, nasty nations. That's what he's screaming. That's a crazy statement. Let the nations, you mean Jesus referred to the dogs can't take food from the table and give it to dogs. I want you to get that. This is a dirty phrase here, let the nations. That would have been considered ridiculous. Like nations, we ain't nations. What you talking about? And it ties with John the Baptist, what he says, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of Israel. No, the sins of the world. The world, we don't mess with them, them dirty Gentiles. So when he says, let the nations be glad, this ain't woke, this is prophetic. This is messianic. This is Christological. This is the hope of the nations. This is what started in a garden that's going to end in the city. This is where he's driving this. Let the nations be glad. See, the Old Testament talked about separation between the Jews. And the text foreshadows a day when the earth will be drawn in to praise him. How can this be? The Old Testament talks about the Mashiach, the Messiah who is coming to bring in people outside of the covenant into covenant family. All the peoples will praise God through Isaiah 53 suffering servant this substitutionary work on his behalf see we see we saw foreshadows of it in in rehab as she was brought in outside of the covenant the Canaanite prostitute who was drawn into the family of God we see it in Ruth, the Moabite who was brought in to the family of God. See, God's plan has always been bigger than God's people Israel. And the worshipers of God 
of people of God's people and the and the worship of God's people is the witness to God's person and purpose to the watching world. So what am I screaming? So as we worship and proclaim to the nations what was started in the garden ends in the city in Revelation 7 has always been the declaration that the nations would come though we had a moment where God has a perfect plan of working his people that they would become the covenant people of the earth. He was using his church, his embassy to live ambassadorially in the earth that they might declare that what the devil tried to pimp out in the garden, God has purposed to make his people for all time. And we don't wait to act like that in glory. We act like that in Kansas City. We act like that when the fools act foolish in this America. We act like that when they argue in politics. We act like that right now. We are the interrupters of ridiculousness. We are the interrupters of racism. We are the interrupters of political divide. We are the people of God. We don't play like them. Why? Because God is using his people to make a people from all people that we might declare that mighty is our God and great is he in all the earth. We don't play like them. We play different. Why is worship important? We grow and show Christ for the glory of Christ. Colin Hansen says this, when you've never wondered why Jesus, maybe you've never wondered why Jesus chose the word church. The Jews of Jesus' day gathered in synagogues, but Jesus didn't use the word synagogue. He used the word church. Why? We can answer this by looking backward and forward into the storyline of the Bible. Looking backward, we learn that it was prophesied that Jesus would assemble a people who would be scattered by exile. Looking forward, we understand that Jesus wanted these assemblies, these churches, to anticipate the final assembly where God will dwell with his people once more. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. Psalm 67 realized, it's realized right here in King's Cross Church. We are going to give the devil a fit and we are going to represent Jesus when any other people don't. King's Cross is going to stand on the promises of God and draw people from all nations in. Father, thank you. We need your word. This is hard to get to. But you became sin who knew no sin. You died because this is only accomplished through you. So your atoning work has made it realized in Christ. So bless and keep us. Lord, um, this is hard. Um, we all come from different backgrounds, politically, denominationally, financially. We're all over the place, God. So God, would we be reminded that when we get to the cross, we become one people. So God, draw us more to the cross in a way. We are the church gathered and the church scattered. So use us continually, God, for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name.